When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. This five-game series is so loaded with games. We figured let's do Rico Bronya after the first two games of this series, just so we're not completely overwhelmed after all five games are played. So welcome to a we're not quite halfway through this series, but we've we're 40% way through this series edition of Rico Bronia, Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman. The Mets and Braves have split the first two games. We are recording this, though, right after they lost game two, a game that certainly appeared as if it was going to be a blowout, appeared as if it was just going to be one of those nights, one of those nights in baseball where you're non-competitive, you get your ass kicked, and you go home. And I guess I could give you the positive that the Mets didn't do that, that while the Mets were down 8 to nothing in the second inning, They kept you interested. They kept you engaged. They gave you moments of, whoa, could they actually come back and win this game? And ultimately, the answer to that question was no. They weren't going to come back and win this game. So if you want to take that as a positive, which I sort of do, but not really, the way I'd answer that is I think as a fan, ultimately, you want to be entertained for three and a half hours, you know? You're down 8 nothing in the second inning. The last thing you want to do is shut the TV off and say, okay, that sucks. So the Mets were able to at least give you fight, give you a little bit of hope. I don't usually think that leads to anything the next day other than maybe wearing down your opponent's bullpen. That's one positive you could take out of it, but I don't think there's momentum into the next day. I think it shows the character of the team, sure. The Mets have been a team all year long that fights. They come back. That game against Philadelphia, to me, was still pound for pound. Maybe the best win we've seen in a long, long time. So that's good. You know, it's good that they didn't lose 13 to one. That's a positive. The negative is it's a loss and they all count the same. Hate to break it to you, whether it's 10, nine, 19 to one, two to one, seven to three. It all counts the same. As far as this game is concerned, look, number one, Taiwan Walker was bad. And I think there were two concerns you'd have about Taiwan Walker. Number one, is he healthy? Because he did have that incredibly awkward fall or whatever you want to call that when his spike got caught on the mound. And it looked as if he got tripped up and maybe his hip was bothering him or something was bothering him. And luckily he threw a warm-up pitch and said, I'm good, except he wasn't good. He got his ass kicked. I don't know if it's related. I think it's easy to say it's related. Keith, I think, said it on the broadcast. Ah, ever since that spike, he's been a different guy. Because remember, he got the first guy, Ronald Acuna, out, got him to pop up. And he did give up the double to Dansby Swanson. So there was a runner on second base with one out. And then he did that spike pitch to Matt Olson, stayed in the game, gives up an RBI double, hits Austin Riley, gives up the home run to Eddie Rosario, and then eventually fights at the first inning after Guillermo made the rare error. So... The same result may have occurred whether he fell off the mound or not, but it certainly was a warning sign. So number one, you want to make sure he's healthy. Uh, Number two, 
and this is just going to come up all the time when we talk about Taiwan Walker because he has a history now with this team. He had an atrocious second half. And his start to this second half has been up until this start good. Uh, good. Like I say that with that tone only because he's battled. No, the Yankee game was a battle. Was it a dominant performance? No. But he was able to at least fight through it. And I think that's what we've seen over Taiwan Walker in his two starts in the second half of this season. This one's just a nightmare. This is, this is an ERA rooter. That's what it is. This is a Hoffman what I'm talking about. If you started Taiwan Walker in your fantasy team, he's just destroyed your ERA for the week. Uh, I think his ERA for the day was 72. So that's not a good, that's <laughs> not good. By the way, FYI, I have him on my team and I didn't start him. So I'm the champion. <laughs> really? Yes. You know, it's interesting. Taiwan Walker was on a, a fantasy team and was offered to me every week this season. <laughs> like every week, the guy who had him offered me Taiwan Walker. And no offense, I just didn't need him. I'm loaded with starting pitching, as, as people tell you. And I forgot, Hoffman got Taiwan Walker right before the trade deadline just a few days ago. So you benched him instead of him making his debut but by the way, I'm just so curious, and I have not looked at your fantasy matchup, and obviously the audience has no yes. idea. Did you bench him because just the way your week was going, we play a head-to-head league, because the week was going, or did you bench him because you didn't like the matchup against the Because land? how my week is going. My, right now I have 36 innings okay. pitched, and my ERA is 1.49, and my whip is 1.05. So I'm not really okay. going to try to ruin that. Okay. I could have. No, no. <laughs> I, I, oh, yes. Yes, you could have. <laughs> All right, so at least you weren't saying, ah, I was the matchup. I knew going in. I felt real bad about this. No, I was saying, I was on air at 5 in the morning this morning saying that I, this is a perfect matchup for the Mets. I mean, this should be money in the bank. Taiwan Walker has been lights out, and freaking Ian Anderson's got an ERA of 4.99. This is beautiful. Well, look, the, the part about Ian Anderson, you were right, which we'll get to. I mean, the Mets did, uh, the Mets did against Ian Anderson what we expected them to do. He leads the league in walks. He walked four guys. They knocked him out in the fifth inning. They tagged him for four runs. Like, if I told you this morning at 5 a.m. when you were on the air or anyone else, hey, here's the final line on Ian Anderson. Four and two-thirds innings, seven hits, four runs, four walks. We'd say, great. There's a really good chance the Mets win the game. The problem was this was just, look, I, it's not even worth spending that much time on his performance, Taiwan Walker. He was just bad. And hopefully we can chalk it up as a, hey, it kind of happens in baseball. It's happened to Carlos Carrasco a bunch of times this season. And hopefully this is an A, an injury, or B, a trend that he set last year, which was he was awful in the second half of the season. This is not a a second guess on Buck. I'm just going to give you my wondering alouds that I had during this game. Taiwan Walker was so shaky that a part of me thought, after the first inning, when he got through the inning and he threw 33 pitches, you know what? F it. Call it a day. Let's just pull him right now. It's 33 pitches. You got a lot of games coming up. It'd be nice. You know, Taiwan Walker on regular rest at least is coming off a performance in which he only threw 33 pitches. But I understand with the doubleheader tomorrow and with the hope that maybe Taiwan Walker can settle down, which he's done before. You know, we saw him in that Yankee game give up back-to-back home runs in the first inning and then settled in and pitched well. But there was a part of me that thought, this is just going to get worse. When he gave up the home run to Michael Harris to start the second inning, even though it was a odd home run, 
And we've seen a few of those in this series. Tyler Naquin actually hit one the night before. It appeared to be a fly ball to left field and it got out. But when he gives up the home run to Michael Harris and you already have Trevor Williams ready and now you got the top of the order, now I'm starting to say, uh, okay, you ready, Buck? You ready to take him out? Then he gives up a hit to Ronald Acuna and I'm like, all right, uh, Buck, you ready to take him out? Then he gives up a, a bloop. It wasn't a rip, but a bloop to Dansby Swanson. And now I'm getting a little like, all right, Buck, what the hell are we doing here? He don't have it. Let's just call it like it is. Sometimes you just got to admit, guy doesn't have it. Then he gives up a base hit to Matt Olson. <laughs> and then finally, Buck made the call, and Taiwan Walker was saved. Trevor Williams, eight. Hey, props to Trevor Williams. I know he gave up a double to Eddie Rosario in that second inning, so he gave up a couple of runs that Ty left on base. The inherited runners did score. But overall, Trevor Williams did exactly what you wanted. I can't say he kept them in the game because when you're down eight to nothing, it's it it's tough to say he kept them in the game. And most of the time Trevor was pitching, it was eight to one. So I would phrase it as he kept it right there. And we didn't know what right there would be because they're down eight to one. But Trevor Williams did a fine job. I I it wouldn't have been nuts to push him even more. You don't have to worry about pinch hitting him, obviously. And he got through the fifth inning. He was sort of lucky because Michael Harris was thrown out by Starling Marte, a play that Brian Snitker challenged. But Trevor was great. And look, every team needs a guy like this. The Mets had it back in the day with Darren Oliver. And before that, Patrick Mahomes, a long reliever, Pat Mahomes. Not Patrick Mahomes, sorry. I'm so used to the quarterback now. His dad, Pat Mahomes. You need a guy that can do this. What was frustrating is that and it really started in the bottom of the first inning down 4 nothing. The Mets had opportunities. And, and I don't think we're ever going to look at this game and say they should have won this game. They, they shouldn't have won this game. They, they, when you're starting pitcher, pitches one inning and allows eight runs, you shouldn't win. But right from the get-go, they had opportunities. Right from the get-go. Brandon Nimmo, leadoff double. Just score him. That was my thought. Just Move him to third if you're Marte. Drive him in if you're Lindor. And it's a 4-1 to game. Okay, you get a run back. And they were unable to do it, mainly because Acuna made that incredible leaping catch against Alonzo. Credit to Acuna, who had a pretty good game overall. He did have four hits and some great defensive plays. But off the bat, I'm thinking, oh, here we go. 4-2 game. And Acuna made a great catch. But then in the second inning, we witnessed... Joey Cora make just a huge mistake. Just a, it was an F-up. That's what we'll call it. It was an F-up. Two outs and nobody on. The Mets are rallying because Ian Anderson can't throw a strike. Bad Ian Anderson showed up after he gave up that hit to Naquan. He's walking Guillerme. He's walking Tomas Nito, which is very tough to do. Walking Tomas Nito is not easy. It's like you have to try. You have to say to yourself, I'm trying to walk Tomas Nito. And here you are. And at this point, remember, it's 8 nothing because the Braves put the four up in the second. So it's 8 nothing. Ian Anderson can't throw an effing strike. If I'm a Brave fan, I'm ripping my hair out. I got bases loaded, two out. Nimmo strokes a single. And for some reason, Joey Cora is sending Luis Guillerme from second base. Why? You have to know the situation. You have to know, A, who the runner is. Luis isn't fast. B, who's getting the ball in center field? Michael Harris. I know he hasn't been around that long, but there's a scouting report on him. He's got a pretty good arm. And then more importantly than that, you got to know the score. 
You're down eight to one. Now you got Starling Marte coming up. If you hold the runner, at least you're giving Marte, an RBI guy, an opportunity to drive a bunch of runs in. Huge mistake. I mean, right out of the gate. I know it doesn't take a brain science scientist, brain scientist, doesn't take a scientist, doesn't take a rocket scientist, scientist, brain surgeon. It doesn't take someone. What is it? Brain surgeon. Brain surgeon. How about that? You would think I was the one who's been up for 36 (laughs) hours straight, Pete. Lucky guess. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to know when you're losing eight, nothing you're likely to lose. But when you waste the opportunity in the first and then you have a guy thrown out at the plate down eight to one, those are all the warning signs you need that you're going to lose. But it didn't stop there. In the third inning, they had opportunities. Two on, two out. Jeff McNeil struck out. In the fourth inning, they had an opportunity. And they didn't cash in until the fifth. And at this point, look, Trevor Williams had pitched well. He had kept it at 8-1. to one, And they start rallying in the fifth inning. And the crowd was awesome. I mean, City Field, you would think at 8-1, to one, they could give up. They could get hot. It's humid outside. It's disgusting. But the fifth inning, the ballpark was rocking. When Jeff McNeil had that CNI single to right field, and here comes my man Darren Ruff in his Met debut, City's rocking. And when he rips that two-run double, City Field is moving. And then Eduardo Escobar comes through. And let's touch on this. This is how the Mets are going to manage games. Buck Showalter doing what Gabe Kapler did a year ago, and it worked last year. It didn't work this year. The Giants suck. I think the Giants have lost more games this season than they lost all of last year, which is incredible, but not because it was very predictable. But the Giants were a platoon team. And Buck Showalter in the fifth inning said, okay, it's go time. You're going to send a lefty out there to face Tyler Naquin? Okay. I'm going to give you a left-handed eater in Darren Ruff because that's what he is. That's why I defended those moves because Darren Ruff crushes left-handed pitching. And he faced two lefties today, ripped a two-run double, and ripped a line drive where Michael Harris made a tremendous play. That was against A.J. Minter in the seventh inning. But he goes to rough for Naquin. I was surprised in that. I'll tell you what I was surprised about. And it turned out to be a great move by Buck, so I was an idiot. I was surprised he didn't go Canna for Naquin. Not because Canna hits lefties. He doesn't. He's actually a reverse split guy. But I thought he was figuring, hey, I have to replace Naquin with the guy who pinch hits for him in left field. Can is a better defensive player than Darren Ruff and left. But Buck was thinking far, far better than I was. Buck's thinking about offense. He ain't thinking about who's going to play defense in the sixth inning. So he gives you the better offensive matchup. Same thing with Eduardo Escobar. Eduardo Escobar is a platoon player, and he hits as a right-hand hitter, and he came through. So we saw him use his bench pieces and then have to make a decision in the sixth inning, and that was Vogelbach, two on, two out, tying run. What do I do? And I hate to say it for anyone who's falling in love with Daniel Vogelbach, and you should, he can't hit lefties. I know we haven't seen that yet, so sometimes you need to see something with your own eyes before you really believe it, but there are numbers. They exist. He doesn't hit lefties. So it was an obvious and right decision for Buck Showalter to say, I got to go to Mark Hanna. The problem is it didn't work because Canna struck out as the tying run 
in the sixth inning. 